Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bar Talk, the spirits-based podcast, beverage-based podcast at the Relief and Resource Company in Fenton. Uh, we are brought to you, as always, by iLogic Media. If you have not checked out the other content on iLogic, they have a bunch of great shows, some history stuff, a lot of sports stuff. If you're into fantasy sports, it's a great place to get some uh, advice and tips and some good research-based uh, information. So. Please, if you haven't checked out any of their stuff, um, please do, because they do a great job by us. Yeah. And we are happy to bring you yet another episode. I'm John Foley, the owner of uh, Relief and Resource, joined as always by Mark Miller and Courtney Booms. Hello. Yes. So today we are going to speak specifically and generally about Highland Scotch, Highland yes. Single Malt Scotch, as we're not really touching on blends. That's probably a whole... Whole other show. Other show. Yep, yeah. Yep, yep. So we are going to talk about some of our favorite drams uh, from the Highlands, a little bit of history on Highlands whiskey, and um, just generally speak to a, a spirits category that I think is probably the doorway into Scotch whiskey for most people. It's yeah. Kind of like the easy transition out of bourbon, say. Or, or Irish. Yeah. Or Irish mm -hmm. or Japanese. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, this is probably your, if you're, if you're just getting into Scotch or want to, this is the, the the section of Scotch whiskey production that I would start with. Yeah. And uh, we'll, we'll kind of teach you a little bit about it and not hit you over the head with that peat smoke that can be so off-putting to a new Scotch drinker. Not yet. So, yeah. Not yet. Not quite yet. That'll yeah. be another episode, too. We'll rip, some, <laughs> we'll rip some metal and hardcore music into the peat show uh, later. It might just be all we do, just blare hardcore music. We totally, and just drink. Scream just about drink, our Irish. Just like, drink our bag. Our as long bag. as yeah. it's not copyrighted, so I can just, you know... I'll bring in my amp and my guitar, and we'll just let it feed yeah. back in the yeah, that's a good idea. Mark well, just well, in like a really like bar, low bar chord every now and then. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just have that be the yeah. drone, man. Yeah, so, drone so, and Pete. Oh, God, you guys are gonna love that show. Prepare for that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but Highland Scotch. Yep. And um, the window into the history, as yeah. always. But thank you, sir. Um, so a lot of the history of Scotch whiskey is similar to Irish whiskey, so I'll kind of touch on it um, fairly briefly. It won't be as in-depth for this show. Um, but like Irish whiskey, it originates from Aquavite, so those monastic distillers um, around 1600, excuse me, 600 AD. Uh, it forms its way to Ishkaba or um, Uskabetha. And then um, later on, uh, probably around 1400, you start getting those references where beer or war is being distilled with Alembic stills. Um, and it uses heat and condensation to just make a beer that has a higher gravity, basically. Mm -hmm. um, while Ireland... Because if you can, make it stronger. Yes. yes. Yeah, always. That is Especially if you're a drunk monk. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Ireland and England picked up around the distillation. The Olympic sales around the same time, but it takes Scotland almost another century to, to catch up with it. Um, their vast grain supply and the influence of importance from court-appointed physicians from every Scottish king... Um, starting from Robert the Bruce all the way to Charles the First is how that like how the spirit became a huge part of Scottish culture um, very quickly initially. And so it's got those medicinal roots in Scotland, uh, just as it did in Ireland. But you'll see that um, it also has a great deal of terroir involved. Um, for those of you who don't remember from the last shows, terroir is a French term used to define the environmental factors that affect a crop's phenotype or the chemical composition of the environmental uh, context, farming practices, growth habits. And there is a like big that. debate as to whether or not terroir actually exists in Scotch. 
I don't see why it wouldn't exist in grains the same way it would exist in grains. Well, I think the argument is that after distillation, um, the particulars are eradicated. Mm, the, I don't know if I agree with that. I don't either. Yeah, I don't either, but it's got its proponents. I mean, even the yeah. guy, the, I think the, the main distiller from Brooklady, which is oh, really? funny, claims that it, you know, he could he could see it not existing, which is interesting because Brooklady is one of the scotches that I would probably throw on the table as evidence that terroir exists in scotch, like before yeah. almost any other. Yeah, yeah. So there's a... And you'll never really pin it down, but there is a debate as to whether or not terroir exists in um, distilled spirits such as scotch, which is very interesting because it's the it's the idea that has always been behind why I like scotch more than bourbon. That's yeah. also the reason yeah. why I like scotch. Yeah, yeah. I, I at the very least, if it's not the terroir, they specifically. I just wanted to throw it out there and see what you guys thought, but it's, it sounds like, like we're you can grow. we so. assert that terroir. Yeah. Sounds like we all agree on that. Yeah. yeah, I believe in fairies. All right, we got that out of the way. We're moving forward. All right, you believe in fairies? I do believe in fairies. They're out there somewhere. Hey. Um, go to Antarctica. Yeah, they're yours. they're lurking behind everything. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> join us for episode twenty where we expose the fairy conspiracy. <laughs> dun 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 dun. Uh, grain spirit terroir. Um, early Uskaba or Ishkabetha is, um, is like super herbal and bitter sometimes. So it's often found in cordials and punches, which I didn't mention in the, uh, Irish show, but I did, I brought it back up when I was looking through scotch and I think it should be its own podcast as well. Cordials and punches. Of punches. I'm wearing a suit for that episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, over time though, whiskey is, becomes more refined and it actually becomes a daily like life experience for for Scottish people and ingratiates itself into the identity. Like I said, there's a guy, Captain Edmund Burt, who toured Scotland in 1726 and noticed its enthusiastic consumption. He has a quote here. Some of the Highland gentlemen are um, uh, more immoderate drinkers of whiskey, even three or four quarts in a sitting. Dr. Johnson, someone who uh, traveled with him also All said- those people are dead <laughs> right after he writes this. We started the 27 Club. Another quote from a different gentleman who traveled with him. A man of the Hebrides, as soon as he appears in the morning, he swallows a glass of whiskey. They're not a drunken race, but no man is so abstemious, I believe is how that's pronounced, as to refuse the morning dram, which they called a skulk, which is a translation from Gaelic to blow to the head. So a daily right. brand of scotch. Um, in certain regions. I was wondering what the name of our drone metal band would be, but it's, <laughs> skulk. it's, it's the skulks, obviously. <laughs> Your daily blow to the head. Check that oh. out for our listing. <laughs> in, in the 1920s, uh, master blenders and distillers, uh, they start to categorize the different regions of scotch. And so even though scotch was just kind of its own thing, we now know that it's kind of uh, five to six main categories. Um, this was just to narrow down the, down the taste of different places and then further distinguish like one distillery style from the next one. And so the, the five main regions are Highlands, which we're talking about today, Speyside, uh, Lowlands, Campbellton, Isla, and then I like to include the sixth category, even though the Scotch Whiskey Association doesn't count. Islands. And that's islands. Yeah. See. A lot of times, islands is uh, looped into Campbellton because they have more closely um, correlating flavors than, say, like Isla or Islands. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, but just to drink Jura versus Talisker is to realize that they're they can be very very distinct. Yeah, and there's even like so each. So a lot of times you would classify Highlands as say like fruity or floral or like light kind of easy drinkers, which is why at the beginning we said like, it's really a nice transition scotch. You'll still get some that are smoky or astringent mm -hmm. or like outliers. So like maybe 80% yeah. of each region still fits within like this generalized. Yeah. Terms. Yeah. But as things get, I think 
you're at a point right now where you are allowed to be more experimental and more signature in terms of what you want to put into the market than you Absolutely, ever have yeah, been. Yeah. So those lines are blurring yeah. for sure. And I think it's, I think it's creatively interesting that they are. Yeah. If every Highlands tasted the same, then it would be yeah. a pretty boring conversation. Also back to the Highlands thing. I think the Highlands have to be distinct because okay. how could you possibly loop Highland Park into Campbellton right. when it's all the way the hell up in fucking Orkney, which is you yeah. Know, if you want to start a petition, I will join you. <sighs> I don't start petitions. And if you're a newbie to this, I'm sure our fantastic producer, Jonathan, can throw in a lovely color-coded map of Scotland lovely. to show you people <laughs> yeah. on the video version of it. The gauntlet's down. All right, excellent. <laughs> Do we want to go through the regions just like very briefly, or do you just want to keep sure, that for each sure. kind of, okay, cool. Yeah. So um, um, we kind of already discussed it. So I'll go in order from northernmost to southernmost. So it's Highlands, Speyside is within the Highlands. Then you have the Islands, Isla, Campbellton, and Lowlands. Your map is backwards though, because you're doing it as if you I'm were doing looking it from at this it. side. Yeah, Again, insert map it. here. <laughs> Highlands, Speyside. Yes. Islands. Isla, Campbellton, Lowlands. Oh, you're doing that island. Okay, got yeah. it. If you're not watching the video version of this, you should be. Because <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. Yeah, so it wasn't really radio. <laughs> so Campbellton is the smallest Scotch region. It's um, on the so south part of the Campbellton Peninsula, as you might guess. It's a natural harbor with ocean water uh, port. So it's uh, it was once the whiskey capital of the world during the Victorian era. It was producing the most uh, whiskey per like square foot. Um, really, but, Hamilton was? Yeah, it had wow. over 30 distilleries in one harbor. Basically. Wow. Such yeah. a small space. Yeah, and then after World but War that, One. But that harbor location, that the water was probably Yes, that's a big exactly part. It's, it's yeah. shipping, yeah. 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 yeah, accessibility to water. Um, one of my favorite distilleries is on Campbellton, Glen Scotia. Oh, yeah. My recent oh, yes, yes, yes. Is it uh, Long Rose, though? Well, well Springbank. Springbank, Spring yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it, it did lose a bunch of its distilleries post-World War One. Some say that it's because it was producing quantity over quality. Others say it's just the lack of resources being lost either to the war or just like depleting all the resources that they had um, on the uh, on the peninsula. Most likely in any, uh, as in any of these situations, probably a bit of both. Probably a bit of both, yeah. Um, most of the scotches from Campbellton have flavors of brine, smoked, smoked, excuse me, dried fruits, vanilla, and toffee. Um, the islands, um, not a designated region as such as we just discussed earlier. That's like basically everything that excludes um, Isla and then just kind of hits the coast of um, Scotland, uh, Eastern, Northern, and I think there's one or two Western. Sky, Orkney, Jura. Yeah, so specifically Aaron, Jura, the yeah. Orkneys, and Sky. Um, they have the larger capacity for having like notes that can hit from fruity and malty to smoky and vegetal. Um, often, if you're getting something from the islands, you're going to get brine, as you might expect, citrus notes, um, and island air. Um, Isla. Talisker. Talisker. Yes. Isla is the best known whiskey region to Scotch drinkers, whether you love it or hate it, because it just blows up smoke. It's uh, the heavily peated um, stuff that you're getting for the most part. There are a couple of islas that aren't peated or lightly peated. Um, whether or not you like it, you've heard of it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it uh, is pronounced Isla. If you go to Scotland, um, if you pronounce it Isla or Isla, um, I don't think anyone's going to hit you over the head, but you might don't get corrected. Sense. That's about it. Yeah. But yeah, brine, vegetal, medicinal, iodine. Um, I still get apples and stuff out of it, too. Oh, yeah. Even though it's like definitely huge can, yeah. and, oh, yeah. and, and yeah. kind of bulky in the mouth, you still get And they can be silky and malty, too. It's mm -hmm. just that the one flavor, you know, peat smoke is 
so big, it tends to be what almost everybody focuses on. Right. And, it, it, you know, you neglect to mention the other things, you yeah. know, but the, the really great ones mm. have uh, as much depth of character as you could possibly want. And that's where you get probably one of the best well-known scotches, which is Lagavulin, comes yes. from Isla yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah made very well-known through Parks and Rec. Yep. Yeah. Um, so the other regions we've got here is the Lowlands. It's the second biggest region by volume. Um, it has fewer distilleries, but that makes it kind of more distinct usually. Um, almost exclusively triple distilled, uh, while the other regions typically do double distillation. Um, that provides like a great light body or body, excuse me, or mouthfeel with plenty of mid palate sweetness. Um, notes I got from this one, honeysuckle, cream toffee, toasted nuts, and sweet grass. So you can get citrusy and baking spice notes there too. And then uh, the last one before we get into the Highlands is Speyside. So that's actually located within the Highlands. It's like a little cutout basically, um, triangular shape. And you can almost clarify it the same way that you would clarify Manhattan away from the rest of New York, how it's kind of like its own yeah. little identity. Mm -hmm. um, so I, the parallel I always kind of draw in my head is Napa. Napa, yeah, yeah, yeah Napa wines. Or Bordeaux, you know, it's just so, so specific to to what it produces yeah. that it you know, has to be considered as its own thing. Um, while the Highlands is the largest the largest area, and then Campbellton used to have the largest like distilleries per square footage, Bayside now holds that, that um, category. So it has the most distilleries in the one small region. Um, in the world, or does Kentucky have more? It's got to be close. That's a great question. I, it's believe be it's, I do believe yeah. it's Bayside. I would have guessed Bayside. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's known for fairly smooth, refined whiskeys. It does, uh, yeah, so it produces one third of the entire scotch market, um, even though it's just that one part. And it includes fruity notes like apples, pears, dried fruits, uh, honey, vanilla, floral is common, as well as cereal notes. Yeah, I would say space side scotches are the most delicate, I think, Yeah. palette-wise, at least they, in my opinion. They, to me, are closer to a Japanese whiskey than yeah. the rest of scotch. The, yeah, well, it's- For and, some, most of them, I should think. You know, that's what they're, a lot of the, Japanese whiskeys were inspired from, by. Yeah, exactly. And most a lot of world whiskey too. I mean, the French clearly love uh, space head stuff because they, they make stuff that tastes a lot like it. Delicate mm -hmm. cognac. Yeah, I, I believe the French are now the um, biggest per capita market for, for scotch yeah. in the world, which you would never think of, but the French drink themselves an awful lot of single malt. Mm -hmm. um, so then, yeah, that leads us to the Highlands, which is the largest region by volume. It covers uh, from just north of Glasgow all the way up to Thurstow, which is the northernmost city um, that has like inhabitants instead of just like kind of land surrounding it. Um, Not just Gerard and his sheep. <laughs> or just like yeah. a ton of elks and, oh, and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it it's, has a more vast variety of malt flavors coming from that because it is so big. So you can get um, ranges uh, of like sweetness all the way to like smoky and earthy, um, kind of like the islands. And uh, yeah, the notes for flavors there are fruitcake, malt, uh, heather, oak, um, dried fruit, and not as extreme as Isla, but it, often you get smoke in that as well, more peatiness. Indeed. Those are the regions. Outstanding. Thank you. No, no problem. Good, good books. <laughs> just throwing right. some distractions so, her way. She just <laughs> dodged them. She's a professional, yeah. damn it. I listen to you, stop, and I go on. Okay. Now let's talk about and drink some whiskey. How about that? Oh, please. What do you want to talk about? Well, I mean, where do you want to start? Should we start with 
I mean, I think I would start with something that I think is a really great, um, a really great introduction. Yeah. Uh, and when you're trying to get into scotch, it can be daunting for a number of reasons. Flavor, what you've heard people say about it who don't like it, and cost. Scotch mm -hmm. is very expensive. So one of the ones, uh, one of the producers that I love, because it kind of neatly avoids almost all of those things, is uh, Glenmorangie. So with Glenmorangie, uh, they have a range of, of bottle production that they do, but the 10-year is a single malt that will cost you just north of 40 bucks, which is really, really, really affordable. For a 10-year single malt to have that kind of price, an age statement whiskey is great. And its flavors are like Thanks. so, yeah. yeah, and so warm and welcoming and so easy to get into that I think Glenmorangie is like the ideal first dram for somebody who's just starting to get into single. Absolutely, yeah. Sure. It's a treat yourself kind of whiskey without yeah. having to spend as much as you Absolutely. would for a gallon or something. Mm -hmm. And I love the bottle design too. It's just like a really classic, sexy looking bottle, you know, like the label, it's beautiful. Look at it. You like its curves. Yeah, yeah it's you got like great curves. Do you yeah. know that little, um, that's kind of insignia in the center there is uh, inspired by the Hilton of Cadball Stone, mm -hmm. which was oh, located yes. near I the distillery. Yeah. David Blackmore. Made in the 18th uh, century. Told us that story when yeah. he was here. Yeah. Thanks, David. Yeah, thanks, David. Come it's back a, anytime. <laughs> it's meant to... Uh, symbolize the interconnectivity of the elements, so fire, earth, and water. Yeah, and again, like John said, they do different expressions. This is just like their their base expression called the original. But they also have the Quinta Ruban, which is uh, that's a rum barrel aged one, right? No, Quinta Ruban is portwood, portwood. and uh, that's now a fourteen year age statement. It used to be a twelve. Gotcha. So ten years for the original, and then four years of, of uh, sherry, Oloroso sherry barrel. Yeah, yeah. Um, La Santa is uh, no, excuse me, not Oloroso sherry. That's the La Santa. Yeah. Uh, Quinta Ruban is port, and then La Santa is that's sherry. Yeah. yeah, and then they have the Nectar de Or, which mm -hmm. is uh, aged in Sauterne barrels, and is great great and, dessert uh, whiskey signet as well chocolate malt. signet chocolate is so yeah. interesting yeah that's yeah, a great we're all looking strange. over there because that's where the bottle sits in the ground. super strange to use chocolate malt in a whiskey have yeah. it be as expensive as it was which is like 120 dollars you know 130 dollars for the okay. bottle mm -hmm. and then to pull it off it was pretty um pretty remarkable pretty ballsy yeah and also interestingly enough glenmorangie is stronger in the u.s than it is in scotland Huh. The original in Scotland is an 80 proof expression, and in America it's 86 proof. Oh, that's true of uh, some Irish whiskeys as well. You'll yeah. get like a like an eight percent difference. Yeah, David Blackmore when he was here, I think he I, at one point he mentioned he's like, I, you know, I love I love drinking Glenmorangie in America. <laughs> it's, it's a little bit stronger. <laughs> no, I remember going to distilleries and them saying that because they like knew we were Americans, so they'd like say the thing to everyone else, and then they'd be like, "But for you, it's this," you know, which is awesome. Because <laughs> in America we like it strong or need it strong. <laughs> also that also that Made it strong yeah um i know i don't think any of us have it in front of us as far as the pour goes but i remember writing down of some notes i have here is that it's got flavors of orange guava passion fruit toasted hazelnuts honey apricots pears yeah it's it's super gentle mm -hmm. um and i if you're at a place that even offers one ounce dram, so one ounce dram is not going to cost you very much. It's a great thing to go out and try if you think that you want to learn how to like scotch. It won't cost you that much, and it's very, very easy to like. And I feel like this is one of the bottles where, like, no matter what bar you go into, they probably they have probably it. have yeah. it. Yeah, and if you don't like one orange, then maybe you don't like scotch. Yeah, just straight up. Yep. What should we talk about next? 
Can I say one more thing about Glimmo? You certainly can. So they have like super tall stills, which is why they use the giraffe as one of their little um, kind of mascots as well. Oh. And they say that the height creates more delicate and fruity esters. um, And that's one of the reasons why you get so many fruit bugs out of Glimmo. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought it was a fun fact. It is a fun fact. It's the funnest fact I've heard today so far. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it's 1236. Yeah. Um, What should we do? uh, Fiddick's next? Probably just because it's another one that's really famous and everybody knows it. Uh, But say it with us now. Glenn Fiddick. Glenn Fiddick. Yep. There's a k at the Not end Glenn of it. Uh, yeah. So like if the r in your mouth when you roll your r sits up here, the h gets like right down here in the middle of your throat. And you have to add the h. Yes. Specifically, it's I like want everyone to come in and order Glenn Fiddick. <laughs> <laughs> the Klingons endorse Glenn Fiddick. I got so many things I want to say, but I can't. No. <laughs> roll on roller coaster. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So Glenn Fiddick, um, I picked two expressions. They have. Their main expression the is, 12 a, is, is a 12 year. Knows, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and Great then the awesome. next step, step up from the 12 year is the Glenfiddich 14, this lovely. The first bottle. of two whiskeys that will feature a stag, a very important animal yes. on, the, yes. on the label. Yep. Yep. Um, but pick these two. Well, the other one I picked too is the Glenfiddich uh, Solera, the 15 year. I picked these two mainly to talk a little yeah, bit so about uh, barrel aging. Yeah. 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 The Glenfiddich 14 is, so it's, First aged in uh, barrels that ex bourbon barrels, so they're barrels that used to hold bourbon, obviously. But then they do, I believe it's an extra six months of aging mm-hmm. in a new charred American oak casks. So, very similar to how you age bourbon in new charred American oak, this scotch kind of takes on some of those similar qualities that you would get those barrel notes. So, I like to really use this as another intro scotch for yeah. people who really like bourbon, for bourbon drinkers, but want yeah. to try scotch. Yeah. So uh, if that's you, definitely give this guy a try. That's what I'm sipping on right here, actually. And then the 15-year, the Glenfiddich uh, 15, the Solera. Solera we kind of touched on in the rum episode, Mm -hmm. I believe. It's basically, in a nutshell, just a style of aging in which you're constantly mixing and blending new spirit with old spirit. Um, but you're never like, empty. But you're never empty. No, never you always empty. have the mother spirit in, in the bottom. It's basically set up like a pyramid style with the new barrels on top, new juice on top, and then the oldest barrels on the bottom, and then they bottle from the bottom barrels. Mm-hmm. Um, super elegant, super just, this is probably one of my favorite Highland malts that we have. It creates a huge, like a great amount of consistency in the product as yes. well, so yeah. we finishing, which we yeah. also said in the rum, rum mm-hmm. uh, class. Yeah. Show. Yep. Excuse me, because you want to know what you're going to expect every single time. So. Right. Mm-hmm. And again, we talked about <clears throat> in the rum, rum, rum episode two, but uh, age statements, it's always the youngest. Yes. Right. So there could be the like model. 20 year old Glenfiddich in there. Technically. Certainly. Right. Yeah. yeah. Just because it's labeled 15, there could be 20 year old. 15 is whiskey. the youngest thing they put in there. Yep. Yep. But yeah, both fantastic whiskeys if you want to kind of experience ways in which barrel aging can affect the spirit. Yeah, for sure. It yeah. is. Hit it. Yeah. Well, I was gonna say it is one uh, that some people might contest as a Highlands because it's technically located in Speyside, but marketed as a Highlands Yes. And I think going back to, I mean, what we've talked about before and what we're talking about now. I'm sorry. Hits more Highland notes. Sorry. Oh yeah, stylized taste buds. Yeah, for sure. The barrel. um, I don't think you can really overstate barrel influence in Scotch because 
depending on how you finish it, you create whiskeys that have variant different different flavor notes, which also is a region reason why I um, tend to prefer scotch to bourbon because as much as I love bourbon, every single barrel is newly charged, so that flavor will be ubiquitous. Right. And with scotch, you start with that same barrel basically, but spent already, so you have a baseline, and then you can do all you know what we're talking about. You can do Solera method, you can do bourbon cask, you can do rum finishing, or sure, or, or do none of it. Yeah. Yeah. And um, each bottle is so so unique. And that's not to say that bourbon barrels aren't unique either, but that one flavor will always be a, a current line running through it, right. yeah. which is why people like bourbon so much. But I find it bourbon people are, no matter how i say this i'm going to get in trouble from some bourbon person but um i find scotch to be a slightly more interesting conversation yeah yeah and i almost think when it comes to bourbon, complex <laughs> yeah i almost think when it comes to bourbon that the mash bill is more important than the barrel you know so for some, bourbons, some people for some people the barrel is unimportant but yeah it has maybe more rules and regulations regarding the yeah. mash bill versus the barrel aging mm -hmm. yeah and that's why you see trends in bourbon where you're trying to trying to stretch that barrel or expand upon that idea. You see, right. you see them doing what the Scotch do and, and, and secondary barrel finishing, yeah. or you see them pushing the char level to try to like push yeah. beyond that because that newly charred barrel has been such a ubiquitous thing within the bourbon community. Yeah. But now that envelope, I think for some is getting a little bit tight. Yeah, yeah. And they're just starting to push against the walls of it. Well, that's like when we got that uh, that Parker was it Parker's Heritage the heavy char yeah yeah I was really impressed by that that's awesome like, it's it's a it's a bourbon but like you can see how that just that difference in the the char on the barrel affected yeah. it so greatly mm -hmm. so like on a, a level I think it was like a level 10 or 11 oh, I thought it was, no it was like five or six five or six yeah because yeah. oh, three or four is what most people are at gotcha. um, and Ardbeg did it too good job Scorch oh yeah yeah, yeah. did you say I good job. Good job, yeah, Ardbeg. Good job, Ardbeg. It's a good job, Ardbeg portion of our show. Which is funny because we've actually have. yet to do a show on Ardbeg. I know. Yeah. It's it's coming. Coming. yeah, it is. Okay, uh, moving on. Let's stay malty and sweet. Yeah, exactly. That's just what I was going to yeah, suggest well, we do. Because I kind of wanted to talk about it because you you brought up the stag. So with the Dalmore in particular, it has the stag logo, but it's always going to have 12 points on it. And it comes from like its oldest story that they like to tell. Where, the Clan um, McKenzie. Clan Mackenzie yeah. in a 1263. I'm going to drop the accent because I could carry it on, but I don't want oh, anyone to call me do. out on it. Um, <laughs> so their logo emerges <laughs> from uh, the chief of Clan Mackenzie. He saved King Alexander III from being attacked by a furious stag. And uh, it, it, they gave him the stag for his coat of arms as an emblem. And then later descendants bought the Dalmas distillery in 1867 and started using it as uh, the image on their bottles. Just um, happened to be right where the stag was charging and the king was to save him. Or did he release the stag himself? Scotch-based cold cases. <laughs> so um, the 12 points is significant because any stag with 12 points or greater was reserved for the king, they said. So like, if you hunted a stag with 13 points, you'd get like uh, taxed or thrown in jail or something like that um, because they were only the king's stags. But Dalmore was given that one because of it, because of that story. Um, I like, they like to hype a thing called the Gonzalez bypass in particular. So they have one sherry house that is, that only gives their barrels to Delmore and they use, um, I, I think it's pronounced Matsulum sherry, which is a type of, uh, Oloroso sherry aged in Pedro Jimenez barrels. Let's see that. Oh, no, that's Matsulum, sorry. Mats, huh. Matsulum? Matsulum, yeah. Matsulum. 
Um, yeah, so it gives a lot of chocolate and orange characters in particular, so rich and nutty notes as well. And I definitely find that whenever I drink Downwars. I've got super huge orange and then like light yeah. chocolate or yeah. caramel sometimes it comes Downmore up. Downmore is, is a, I hesitate to call it gentle because it's very, very complex, but it is a rich and welcoming whiskey. Absolutely. Super, yeah. super nice. Another one like Glenmo where it's very desserty to me. Like yeah. if someone likes right. sweet palate stuff, I would totally throw these their way. Which makes it another very attractive whiskey for um, for bourbon drinkers because yeah. along with new barrel um, uh, char, you know, the flavors, and along with sweeter corn, what a lot of bourbon drinkers also like is mouthfeel, yeah. like heavy mouthfeel. And that's what bourbon accomplishes. And Dalmore does that almost as good or better than any other scotch on the market. And I saw this when I used to, you know, be more involved with wine. It wasn't always the grape Cabernet that people liked. It right. was the oakiness and the mouthfeel. So, you know, you Body. go show somebody some Syrah from the Rhone Valley that they had never had before. And they was like, oh, I thought I only liked Cab. No, you just like big mouthfeel wines. Yeah. And um, bourbon drinkers like heavy mouthfeel, and I think that Dalmore is definitely one you should check yeah. out. They're also famous. It's owned by White and McKay, who own like Jura and um, Shackleton, mm -hmm. which we carry out here as well. And they're famous for bottling some of the most expensive uh, scotch that's been ever sold. So they include five figure stuff. Yeah. Yeah. A 62 year old Dalmore that sold for $48,000 each bottle. And then in 2010, they had bottles of uh, Dalmore Trinitas. Um, is that which, the one that was bottled from stuff like from the 1890s? Yeah, yeah. They, so, made, they made like 12 bottles of it. Yes, yeah, so it was very exclusive. Yeah. They said the first few bottles sold for um, 150000 And then a couple years later, I think the last bottle was sold for $180,000, which is insane. Good Lord. Yeah, yeah that's a lot. That's Watch one of the bottles was bought by that D-bag who also had that Wu-Tang album. Possible. <laughs> Martin, whatever his name is. He had to sell that one too. So um, yeah. Dalmore expressions include a 12, a 15, an 18, a 24, a port finish, which is non-age statement, and um, the cigar malt, which is yeah. probably, even though it's more expensive, probably the Dalmore that we drop the most on the bar. Honestly, oh, because yeah. people love the cigar malt. Just for, I mean, Bowen, Cohen alone. It's a status, <laughs> it's a status whiskey, but it's also, I mean, yeah. it is that, that, that richness and that opulence it's, to yeah. it that I think is... Like hedonism from Compass Box, it's a treat yourself with Super treat yourself. Yeah. Exactly what I was about to say. Um, I'm realizing we forgot to grab a bottle off the back bar, so you guys rip for a second. I'll be right back. Oh. Rip. All right. Do you want to talk about Oban a little bit? I or? just want to talk about how Mark's not here. Mark. Yeah. Ah. It's not just that he's not here, yeah. it's that I miss him. Good job thinking of the bottle before versus after. <laughs> we are going to talk about Oban. Oh, so yeah. Oban... Um, Oban is the northernmost uh, distillery in the Highlands. Right. The northernmost distillery in Scotland that's not Highland Park. They make a 14-year expression, which is what most people know. Um, this is another one that uh, is often mispronounced. It's Oban, not Oban, uh, which I did probably up until about 10 years ago. Well, you guys already, uh, during the Women in Whiskey one, saw how badly I pronounce Glenmo on average. So I'm just going to start calling it Glenmo. <laughs> easier, a lot yeah. of people call it that. Yeah. yeah. Um, this one, I'm not going to touch too much on the history of it, but just for me personally, it's kind of near and dear to my heart because so along gosh. with Glenlivet, this was the uh, scotch that made me like scotch uh, that I tried probably, gosh, I want to say almost 19 years ago uh, when I was working one of my first bar jobs in Kalamazoo and I just turned 21 and I just wanted to know about scotch. And we had, there's like three scotches on the back bar of this place. 
and all of them were super dusty. Like literally nobody ever came in there to drink scotch. Uh, but, and consequently it was way cheaper than it should have been. So I was able to try it and, uh, kind of like challenged and fascinated at the same time when I first, first took my sip of, of Oban. And I think what I liked about it then and what I like about it now is it's got, a, it's totally got a little bit of everything. It's got power, it's got richness, it's got a hint of smoke and, and terroir and graininess. And it just really touches a lot of flavor bases for me. So I took some of this home last night um, before filming this and tried it. And the first thing I got was saltwater taffy, and like a, like a bubble gummy sweetness on the nose which was insane. And then after trying it, I got baked peaches, like a peach cobbler with like vanilla ice cream kind of vibe. Geographically white, in a white cove, chocolate yes. creaminess. In yes. Like a bay. Yeah. A so it's way up on this. Like literally Oban is uh, in, translated from Gaelic is little bay. And they do have an expression called little Oban bay, yeah. little bay. So it's like little bay, little bay, technically or yeah. ATM machine kind of vibe. Yeah. That's a non-H statement whiskey. It was uh, operated by Hugh and John Stevenson, opened in 1794, named after the town that it's located in, so Little Bay again. Um, changed hand a few times, was once owned by Doors, and is currently owned by the whiskey giant Diageo. Mm -hmm. That's um, one I have not revisited in a while, and it is it's so good. real good. See, I, I'll get this one on occasion. Like This yeah. is kind of one of my go-tos, and yeah. I, just, I just love it. It's, it's so good. silky. Mm -hmm. That's exactly it. The mouthfeel, like, I got... Yeah. Like the way that chocolate, when you just let it sit in your mouth, and yes. then like it gets really like soft and malleable. It's it's it funny because like it's wine. a whiskey that, because it's owned by Diageo, has a presence on a lot of back bars. So you see it often, mm -hmm. and you forget about it. But it is consistently excellent. And you know, you taste other things like, oh, you know, I'm really into Brucati, I'm really into Ardbeg, I'm really into Balvenie. But you come back to Oban, and it always always crushes it. Yeah, it's like vanilla, peaches, and cream. Yeah, just like peaches and cream for sure. Yeah. Silky smooth. Really, and you can absolutely find it almost everywhere. Really, too. it's owned by Diageo, so like a huge brand, but it actually only has two stills, so it's one of the smallest like distilleries in Scotland. Um, and also, a fun fact, uh, it was very important during John, the Cold War because the John first... John Cole goes, fun fact. <laughs> fun fact. Fun fact. Um, the first transatlantic telephone cable came ashore at the Gallinac Bay and carried through... Oban, um, it was the hotline between U.S. presidents and USSR general secretaries. Wow. Yep. Lighter, dryer. Trademark by the Beatles. We it don't is. need them it's coming crazy. after us. <laughs> so moving on from Oban. <laughs> Did you guys ever see just quick side note? It was I can't remember what show it was, but it was like the guy was going in to try to license a uh, Beatles song, and um, <laughs> he's like, so what can I get? He's like talking to the lady. She's like, what can I get for like a hundred dollars? And she takes an apple off her desk. She's like, you can have this apple. <laughs> <laughs> he's not like, he's like, not like back in the USSR, like, hey, Jude. She's like, no, that would cost you about five million dollars. <laughs> he's like, so there's no chance. <laughs> I don't know if that's actually in the TV show or you just made it up. No, it is. I, I just can't remember what TV show it's in. I think it, no, I think it was a, um, God, what is the name of it? It's that sketch comedy show with, like Kids in the Hall or something? I'm going to think of it. Prolonged digression. Yes. Okay. That's what's going on. Outstanding. Do you want to talk about the bottle you ran away for? Oh, yes. So um, we're going to try to start this new segment in our podcast called okay. Obscure But Awesome. Mm -hmm. And being that we're talking about uh, Highland Scotch, Figured we'd talk about uh, Glenfiddich Fire and Cane for a little bit. 
So this one is interesting because not only is it a peated expression from Glenn Fittick, but it's also rum barrel age, mm -hmm. correct? Yeah. Um, I don't have a whole lot to say about this other than the fact that it is phenomenal and probably, I mean, out of the entire Glenn Fittick line, I know I said I love the Solera, but this stuff is rowdy just because, I, you know, I'm very fond of the peated whiskeys as well, so... Yeah, but that rum finish offers it a, quite a bit of balance when it comes to malt and, and richness, too. One thing, too, I don't know why, but some people will come and ask me if that's like their cinnamon whiskey, if it's like the Glenfiddich equivalent of yeah. Fireball. Uh, it is yeah. not. It is not. It's no, not. Sorry to disappoint. And that's why I think some people involved with it were like, that's what we're going to call it, really? Because the word fire right. on a label now is just like, you know, instant association with, with cinnamon. But it's fire. funny because it's almost, to a malty whiskey drinker, it'll taste super peaty. To a peated whiskey drinker, it'll taste super malty. Yeah. And we'll run you south of 50 bucks for a bottle, or just right around 50 bucks for a bottle, maybe maybe south of 60. I think I saw it at Wicklow for like 45. There you go. So very, very affordable too. And it, it tastes, you get the rum sweetness up front, but then the smoke on it isn't, it's not like peat like you would get in like Laphroaig or Ardbeg. It's very like campfire. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Really yeah. So just like to, just drink this instead of Fireball. It's not like Fireball, but drink it instead. Fireball. It's not like Fireball at all, which is why it's great. Like great tailgate whiskey. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting point. <laughs> sorry. It's a, no, I just, no, it sorry. pops into my head and be like, yeah, the next tailgate I go to. You don't totally go to tailgates, but I do, tailgate. and I would drink this at a tailgate. I would drink outside in the bed of a pickup truck, though. Just to be fair. You guys want to talk about Klein Leash? Yeah. Certainly. So Klein Leash did get its own video. Uh, Way back in the day. In, a, in the day when uh, John and some staff members were filming uh, just reviews. Of yeah, we were doing whiskeys. whiskey reviews, which kind of evolved into this podcast. Right, yeah. right. Kind of like got um, carried into it. So yeah. it's not unfamiliar for anyone who's been following uh, since a couple of years ago. But uh, Kleinleash is Scots Gaelic for sloped garden or pasture. Um, the original location of the distillery was in the Sunderland region, where we had talked about with Dalmore and the Women in Whiskey series mm -hmm. that a lot of the farmers there got um, relocated. Um, that was called the Clearances in the uh, early 1800s. What a the nice night, term for it. In the ninth series. Yeah. <laughs> ninth century, 19th century, excuse me. Um, so the the Duke of uh, Sunderland, he like evicted all these people and he sent them into these cities where they the whole towns had businesses built like from him so that he owned them and the farmers he'd employ them there at the businesses right because they like lost their homes or whatever but then they had to pay rent and the only payment that they ever uh received were like tokens that the farmers could use at this guy's own businesses so if anyone's uh familiar with american history uh you might find there's a correlation with uh, certain indentured servitude practices as well so um, not a great guy, but he did create. Was, a, he, was that the first crypto currency then? <laughs> crypto? I don't <laughs> think they had any type of phones or you know electronic. But they were still but mining it. They were mining. True, it. true. Yeah. So he created businesses in the town of Brora, B-R-O-R-A, um, and that's where the distillery was was founded. It's very famous lost distillery. Yes. Brora. Yeah. So yeah. yes, if you find any Brora stuff, it's no. going to be very expensive, but yes. well worth drinking because I actually have had a pour of an ancient Brora before. Yeah. Um, I believe it was at Ashley's in Ann Arbor. They have a lost distillery series of drams that you can get. Yes, I believe you texted me gloating about it. I did. <laughs> I did. Unsurprising <laughs> move. Yeah. It's like, you bastard. Yeah. <laughs> so um, 
1912, it was owned by John Risk. He worked with DCL, um, Distillers Company Limited, which eventually became Diageo. So in 1925, it gets absorbed into Diageo and um, is still under them today. In 1968 is when the new plant was built with six stills. So the old plant, Kleinlich A, you might say, was turned into Brora. And then Kleinlich B is the one that still produces this today. Um, it was originally, they just called them both Kleinlich, but the Scottish Distillers Association, uh, excuse me, Whiskey Association was like not, not, not into it. Yeah. So they renamed it Brora. And then it did close down in 1930, um, or excuse me, closed down, reopened in 1930 until 1960. From 1968, excuse me, until 1983. Um, 80s were a dark time for scotch. Yeah, Brora produced, so it stopped then. Thanks, vodka. Yeah. But it, um, <laughs> it's so like, it's like Pappy uh, trying to find Brora. Like, you know, big scotch heads are super into it, but it's super mm -hmm. hard to come by. Very yeah. expensive. Brora, Port Ellen, Lady Burn, like all those are yeah. really, really difficult and highly sought after so if you're into scotch. I was under the impression that Brora reopened in 2017. I don't know if anything's in the market yet. So, so Brora has reopened. Yet, but they are like aging. Yeah, there's going to yeah. be stuff yeah. from Brora. So you can't find it, but you will find it, hopefully. Yes, hopefully. Yeah. And uh, Kleinlich also, 95% um, of its make goes into the uh, Johnny Walker Gold Label Series. Yeah. And Gold is a great whiskey. Gold my, is fantastic whiskey. Probably my second favorite of the Johnny Walker whiskeys after yeah. Green. Green is, is where it's at now. So it's got like lots of honey and honeysuckle. Sweetgrass and caramel, butterscotch. Japanese whiskey lovers would love this one for mm -hmm. sure. Light mouth mouthfeel. Kindlish has a little bit of power and graininess on the finish too, which I very much find attractive. Um, and like a light smoke as well. Mm -hmm. It's not heavily heavily peated, but slightly smoked. Portlandia. That's oh. the name of the show I was trying to think of. <laughs> How could you not think of that? Why? I don't know. He <laughs> was going to... He was not going to let this podcast end. No, no, I had to. Yeah, so that sketch <laughs> I was talking about is in Portland. Outstanding. <laughs> that, I think, wraps yeah. up what, what we've got here on the table, I think. Yeah. Um, we didn't really pull a Balvenie, although we all really, really admire Balvenie. Yeah. Also owned by William Grant, um, who owns Glenfiddich. And um, Aberlauer uh, probably deserves a mention because we really like Aberlauer, although those are specifically space side, yeah. so that's why we didn't do it. Yeah. Well, they're great. Yeah. Yeah. I will say, if I can just jump like two cents onto Glengoyne, which is another Highlands malt, they use, um, they're one of the only distilleries that uses Golden Promise barley, which is like super hard to grow, very rare. It's also used in Macallan and Balcones. <sighs> yeah. So it creates like a really it? lovely rich. What time on the podcast is it? Uh, 42, 34. Incredible. We were going to try to, I was Distillery. secretly waiting to see how long it would take for us to actually mention McCallan or whether or not we could do oh. a Highlands show without seeing McCallan. <laughs> well, we went almost 45 well, it's not minutes. Highlands, it's a space side. I know, but I, I knew it was going to get yeah. less. Anyway, it's a cool distillery too because they're, they're, um, the distillery facility is in the Highlands, but they have an aging warehouse in the lowlands, so they literally ride the line between mm -hmm. highlands and lowlands, mm -hmm. and it's really nice. Another slow, great introductory whiskey. Slow um, fermentation, complex esters developed. Mm -hmm. My brother-in-law, who's uh, recently in the last few years really, really, really gotten into scotch, this was his Loves kind of introduction going. to um, to single malt was going going. Yeah, yeah. And then he started tasting barrel-proof so stuff, and he's like, "Here we go, <laughs> big Glen Scotia fan." <laughs> Yeah, it's it's uh it's interesting now that now that we brought it up, we did not pull any bottles of McAllen. Probably because it's a space space side. Side. Yeah. well that that I mean space side still being in the highlands, yes. Yeah, with But I feel like the I, I think it's good that we kind of 
sought out other, I don't want to say more interesting whiskeys because I think Macallan is a great expression of what that type of whiskey can be. But I think there's lots of other bottles that are less popular that. Well, yeah, and when we get sure. to the Speyside show, it's going to be impossible not to talk about Macallan right, right. because Macallan is Speyside yeah. for most people yep. and Glenlivet. Yeah. And those are, those are Speyside for so, so many people. Yeah, so is like Aberlour and other really great Speysides yeah, exactly. that sometimes oh, I'm so get excited to talk about barrel proof Aberlour. Yeah, but I think this wraps up our, our uh, yes. island show. I think it certainly does. Hopefully you got some drams that you want to try and uh, it, it, maybe this it give, kind of spurs you towards giving uh, scotch a try. If you haven't tried it yet, it's not all scary and it's not all peaty and it's not all aggressive and is, um, I mean, that's also a little lower proof for the most part uh, than bourbon and that's not necessarily something that everybody wants to hear. But it's kind of nice if you want an extra gram. Yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah. That first episode, or not the first episode. One of the episodes where it's like, what do you do when you go to a bar to just be chill? Episode two. Yeah, I yeah. think so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That you don't always need cask strength. Sometimes those lower gravities help you. Mm -hmm. Yep. Keep the keep the night going. Yep. I know we don't normally do it, but we can kind of tease the next episode. Which is going to be a super fun uh, one. It will include cask strength. It will include include some very high proof whiskey, <laughs> and some very hot chicken wings. Did you notice that John's sitting here, kind of like <laughs> holding his face? And so you know what? Real big. You guys go ahead and do whatever you want next week, um, because I will have my turn, and I'm going first because I'm gonna like the revenge portion of it better than I like the actual. <laughs> Episode. The moral of the story is John's going to be in a lot of pain and it'll be fun for me and Courtney. <laughs> so you just get to watch and laugh. So with that being said. Fire up. Yeah. <laughs> I think we can end it there. Right. Cheers, everybody. Thank you for uh, joining us again. And uh, we'll see you on the flip. Yep. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Cheers.